So one of my hopes for this series is that we kind of further get to see just how awful and creatively evil that people can be. Um, if you weren't here last week, we're, we're starting this new series that I'm calling Cancelled. Actually, I'm calling it hashtag canceled because it makes it a little bit more modern, makes it a little bit cooler, right? No, maybe? Okay, fine. Whatever. Hashtag canceled because that's what we do, right? We see, we see, some, we see some evil, we see some, some bad thing that somebody does, and we say, that's it, we're done with them, they're canceled, no more, can we listen to them? They are not any longer of any value to us as a society, we're setting them aside. And one of the things that I wanted to do is that I wanted us to go through the Bible, and like I said last week, the, the format isn't going to change very much week to week. We're going to pick a new person in the Bible. We're going to associate ourselves with some level of sin that was present in their lives, something that they did that we would probably say they're probably not worthy of listening to anymore. We should probably be done with them. We should probably set them aside. We should probably not model our lives after those people, Thing, people that, that our society today would be done with entirely. And then we're going to talk about how God continued to use them and how God redeemed them and how the idea of, of being canceled or canceling somebody is completely contrary to the idea of the gospel. That there's no room in the gospel for the complete rejection of hope when it comes to somebody who is a sinner. That there's no, there's no that's it, we're done, it's finished, there's no hope for them anymore. Because that's not for us to decide. That's not for us to enact. That's not for us to create that change. That's not for us to say there is no change possible for them. So last week we talked about Adam, and, and, and I tried to, uh, tried to talk about some different ways that we could say Adam was a failure because I wanted us to associate with him. But, but you may not associate with the things that I talked about because most of the things that we talked about with Adam were failures to lead in his family. We talked about him not doing a good job of protecting the holiness of his wife. We talked about him not raising his son well. And the effects that kind of were borne out because of that all the way down. And you may be thinking, I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. And that's not something that I really necessarily can relate to. Well, that's why I want to take this kind of look through the Bible at so many different people and see the different ways that people have failed and yet God has used them. Because I imagine that by the time we get to the end of this, at least one or two of these people, you're going to be like, oh, that could be me. I associate myself with that just a little bit. I may or may not be a lot like that person. And so this week we're going to look at the life of Abraham. So if you'll go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12, we will begin there. Because here's the thing, Abraham is one of the guys. If you're, if you're thinking the, the nation of Israel, if you're thinking the people that they look to and say, this is one of the guys, you've got like Abraham, you've got like Moses, you've got David. But all of these guys, which we'll see, were not perfect. All of these guys were just like us in need of heart change because of sin's presence in all of our lives, just like it was present in theirs. 
And so today, as we look at the life of Abraham a little bit, and again, we're just going to get a couple of examples of the way Abraham lived. I want us to, again, try to not look at specifically what he did, but maybe what some of the underlying motivation was in his life and say, is that something that I could find myself being capable of? Is that something that I could easily fall into. So if you're in Genesis chapter 12, I want to start on a good note. Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 starts this way. Now the Lord said to Abram, go to your, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is good news. God promised Abraham, I'm going to do amazing things in your life. Now again, he didn't necessarily give him all the details, but, but Abram was willing to just pick up and leave everything to go follow God. And this is one of those examples where we tend to say, look at Abraham, be like that guy. Right? Be somebody who, when, when the call of God comes forward, you are willing to say, let's go. I'm ready. Wherever you say, God, I'm willing to follow. I'm not afraid. I, I don't even know all the answers. You're telling me to step. I don't know where I'm going to land, but I'm picking up my foot anyways. Right? We've talked about that kind of idea before. The faith that it takes to just follow God when you don't know everything. Because most of the time, we don't know everything. And Abram certainly didn't in this instance. And so that's one of those things worth modeling. And I think it's also one of the things worth realizing that as we're going to begin to talk about some of the failures that Abram had, those failures came after God had called him. Those came after he was already a follower of God. So I don't want to paint this picture that all of our failures only come before we know Jesus or before we know salvation. Because we aren't instantly perfect the moment that we're saved. Because I also don't want us to become discouraged when we look at our lives and say, wow, I still have a long ways to go to be more like Jesus. Because, because the temptation can become, we look at ourselves and say, that must be that I'm not saved, or I must not be good enough, or I must not be useful to God because I'm still sinning in all these ways. And I want us to look at Abram and say, oh wait, he was already following God before all of the other things that we're going to talk about Abraham doing that were not correct, that were sinful, or that were, that were losing sight of this faith that he is demonstrating at this point, this willingness to step out in faith and follow God wherever it may be that he's calling him, even if he doesn't know the answers. So you may be looking at yourself right now, and maybe, maybe you're even feeling that call. Maybe you've even been experiencing that sort of, oh man, I'm supposed to do something, but I don't know all the answers, so I'm going to just hold back and wait till I have a little bit more detail. I would say it's okay to look at Abraham and say, these things worked out pretty well for him. Because I'm going to go ahead and spoil the end of the story. In the end, he does become the father of a great nation. And through that nation, all the nations of the earth are blessed. That all the families of the earth, that's good news. And that's what God can do with people when he calls them. So, so if you are one who is kind of shrinking back from the call, or maybe you are afraid because you don't have all the answers, because I'm going to tell you, most of the time, you're not going to have all the answers. Most of the time, you will have just a little sliver of understanding of what God's doing. 
But that willingness to follow is so key. And that's where Abram was. That's where he was at the very beginning. So he's already following after God. He's already following in faith. He's already believing. But that comes before these moral failures. So I don't want you to think that, that if, if you still have moral failures, that that means you're useless or that nothing that good, good that you had done before isn't counted. It's, it's right. It's good. These things have happened. It's real, even though we're not instantly perfect. Because, because believe me, Abraham was not instantly perfect. If you're still in Genesis chapter 12, uh, go ahead and just skip down to verse 10. Um, so here's what happens. Abraham, uh, there's a famine in the land, and he's going to go down to travel, and he's putting himself, he, he's in a situation where he's unsure of the people that he's going to live among, Right? So Genesis chapter 12, picking up in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. Isn't that just heartwarming? Dear, I love you, but I'm worried about myself. So if you could just lie and let these guys maybe take advantage of you so that they won't hurt me, that would be great. Not the thing that we're supposed to model our lives after Abraham, right? So here's the thing. He's not not just sinning by lying, but he's also sinning by lying to protect his own interest. Right, right. He's very concerned with his own safety. He's he's protecting himself. He's trying to he's trying to manage the situation in such a way that that no no potential discomfort, no no fear is going to come upon him. Right. He's he's worried that that his livelihood is at risk and that things are going to go bad for him because because it's already going kind of bad. Right. There's a famine in the land that God called me to. I'm already having to come down here. Now I'm worried all these guys are going to kill me. Because I have a really attractive wife. That's how he feels. I mean, and I also, like, I love how he kind of couches this deception. He starts it with a compliment, right? Like, honey, you are so beautiful. You're so attractive. I need you to pretend to be my sister. Cool, right? No, don't do that. Don't lie, A, to protect yourself, because here's what happens. Ultimately, it doesn't go well for the Egyptians. They figure it out, and they're like, dude, you about, you about brought curse upon us because we were about to, to take your wife away from you. Right? This is, this, is a, this is a man who, even though he already demonstrated this extraordinary faith, this willingness to step out, not knowing where he was going, to leave his entire family behind, right? To leave leave his native country, to leave his people, and just start walking. That's amazing faith. Has lost sight of what God is capable of, has lost sight of his trust in him. God leads him down to this place where he's going to have to live for a short time. He's lost sight of that faith, and now he's, he's kind of overwhelmed by fear. He's overwhelmed that something bad could happen to him, and he wants to protect himself. Maybe that's something that you have felt sometimes. What is it that I can do to make sure that I prevent myself from reaching some sort of discomfort? How can I protect myself from pain? And maybe you go above and beyond. I mean, 
maybe you've done this. I, 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 I have no experience in this, where maybe you haven't completely finished all of the work that you're supposed to report on. Has anybody ever experienced anything like this? Because I know I never have. And you're in the meeting, and you're like, so where are you on this project? And you're like, well, let me kind of explain all the things that I've done. And you, and you kind of just start talking and filling space, and eventually people get bored of listening, and they don't realize that you're not done yet. Okay, so this is just confession time for me. Is this, okay, I'm seeing some smiles. Right, we, 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 we deceive to protect ourselves because A, we haven't, either we haven't done what we were supposed to do or B, because we're worried that it's going to bring on some form of discomfort for ourselves. Because here's the thing, we don't like to be uncomfortable. We were having this conversation on the way to church this morning when Ellie was just starving she was so hungry, she couldn't wait two more minutes to eat her donut. And I'm like, you'll survive. It's okay. Sometimes it's okay for us to be uncomfortable. But we have this tendency to kind of ball up and try to do everything we can to protect ourselves. And that's what Abraham is doing here. He's losing his trust in God, that God is going to protect him and do amazing things. How can he be the father of a nation if he's killed by the Egyptians because he has an attractive wife. He loses sight of the promises that God has given to him and tries to protect himself because he doesn't believe that God's going to fulfill his end of the bargain. That's a consistent theme in Abraham's life. If you're still in Genesis, go ahead and flip over to Genesis chapter 16. Because, because this, is, this is the go-to example when you don't trust God of what not to do. It's become, it's become like a teachable phrase in um, the Clements family for many years. Whenever, whenever you don't understand what God's doing and you decide, you know what, I'm going to fix it myself. I'm going to manage this situation all on my own. I don't need to wait for God to move. I've got a plan or I've got a solution. Or I'm a, maybe, maybe you're a fixer. I mean, many of us are. I've got ideas. I can just fix it right now. Here's what we'll do. And then you fall into this trap that Abraham falls into. We call it, don't make an Ishmael. Because here's what happens in Genesis chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. This is after God has reminded Abraham that he's going to have a son. And that son is going to, to be also the father of a great nation. But Abraham's like, dude, I'm like over 100 years old. My wife's like 90 years old. That, there's no way that's going to happen. Here's what happens in Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. The irony in that, by the way, that they had this idea, here's how we'll fix what God hasn't figured out a way to do yet, and then... When it works out, she gets angry about it. The irony in that is not lost on me. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. God had said, you will have a son. 
And they laughed about it. They're like, that's crazy. There's no way that God can do that. Tell you what, God, since obviously you don't mean that we're going to have a kid, we'll figure out a way. We'll figure out another way. We'll make this happen because we, again, losing sight of the faith that God, that, that God was going to do something and he was willing to follow no matter what. Abram says, yeah, you're right. We should just figure out some, we should, we should manage this situation. We should control this thing because, because obviously we don't believe that God is capable of accomplishing this thing. When we, when we were studying the book of Genesis, uh, we got to this section uh, of chapters and we talked about how, how sometimes some of the things that God calls us to sound impossible. And it's easier just to laugh them off and say, God can't do that. Sometimes being a part of the church can feel like, this is really hard. This is really uncomfortable. Man, it's impossible that we could keep this thing together just given all of the, the brokenness in our world and the brokenness inside of us. All of this is really hard. Maybe even impossible. And we lose sight of that faith that our God is a God who works impossible things. And the moment we lose sight of that, the moment, the moment our, our faith wanes just a little bit, the moment we begin to think, maybe he really can't fix this one. Or maybe he doesn't really have a plan. We immediately fall into this, well, what does that mean we should do? How can we make this thing work? And then we say, here are the things that we know about the physical world. Here are the things that we know we can use as, sol as a solution. And no, maybe this isn't what God said he was going to do. Maybe this isn't what God is calling us to do. But man, this seems better than just sitting around waiting to see that God's going to not be able to do something that he already promised. We do that all the time. I would venture to guess that, that all of the times that we catch ourselves in sin, it's because we've lost sight that God has promised that he is worthwhile, he is worth following, he is worth trusting, and we've taken matters into our own hands. I don't know, I don't know what it is that, that you struggle with or what you are currently struggling with or what you have traditionally struggled with, but the, the sins that continue to call us back are the things that we continue to put our trust in saying, this will make me feel better. This will make me feel good. This will make me not feel the discomfort that I'm experiencing right now. And I don't deserve to feel those things because obviously God wouldn't want me to feel this way. And we lose sight of the fact that sometimes God makes us wait. What, 90 years old? Sometimes we have to wait for God to finish fulfilling his promises. Right? Sometimes there's this period where God is teaching us patience, or God is just teaching us to rely on him a little bit longer, or God is teaching us that, that the pain or the discomfort or the frustration that we experience in this life is something that, that should pale in comparison to the joy of knowing him. And that we should care far more about that than we do about whatever these light temporary afflictions are that we're feeling here. Amen. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Abraham took his eye off the prize. He took his eye off of seeing what God said he was going to do. And he said, I've got a way. We're going to make this work. And you know what happened when he, when he listened to Sarah and 
And then he had an, a son that he created on his own, trying to, trying to do this. He created this now ongoing war within our entire society for, from then till kingdom come. Because, because, because at this point, God said, I'm still going to bless Ishmael because he's still your son. And I said I'd make a great nation. But, but this great nation, the more that we see about them, they don't follow after God. Just, just, like, just like we talked about with Adam last week, you had all of Cain's descendants who... The further and further down the generational lines, you even had sons that were bragging about just how evil they were. And the results of sin lead to more sin, and the the effects of that last from generation to generation. All because Abraham took his eye off the prize and said, I don't trust that God can do the things he said he's going to do. I don't think he's going to be able to follow through on this one. I'll take care of it. Maybe you've said this before. I got it. I got it. I can take care of this. I can make this work on my own. So don't make an Ishmael. That's the, I mean, there's, there's like a really specific application to that. Like, don't do that specifically. But also, don't try to fix things that you think God can't do. Don't try to fix things for God. He's got it. He is God. But here's the thing. It would be one thing to say, that's the end of the story. Abraham failed and God said, all right, I'm done with you. Let's start over. Let's find another guy because obviously you're not going to be the one. Yeah, I made all these promises, but you failed. Yeah, I made all these promises, but it turns out even after following me, you could still lose sight of everything. We're done. But what happens with Abraham ultimately? God calls him later. He, he, he gives him the son. He said, no, I'm still doubling down on this. You're going to have a son. Sarah, your wife, is going to have a son. And born to them is Isaac, who God says, this is the guy who's going to fulfill everything. He's the next one. Out of him is going to come a great nation. The promise that I made to you, I'm going to make to him just the same. I told you that I could do this. And I did. Look, here's your son. Oh, by the way, now, I need you to take your son... And I need you to go put him up on top of this mountain and I need you to sacrifice him to me. And and if you've seen Abraham up to this point, you would begin to think, well, we know how rotten he is. We know that he's going to think God doesn't mean that. I I, I know God God has another solution. There's a better better way. I'm supposed to to defy God on this one. That's how he wants me to manage this, right? That's obviously what Abraham's going to think. Because that's what he's demonstrated up to this point, right? That, that he's going to see that, well, there's no way that a nation could be born out of my son if I have to go kill him and sacrifice him to God. So obviously, I'm going to, to ignore that order. No. Abraham willingly takes his son, takes him to the mountain, and is willing to sacrifice his son up until the point that the voice of God stops him and says, I am not going to require that you sacrifice your son. In fact, I'm going to provide a new sacrifice in his place. Why was Abraham able to do this? Flip over to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. In Hebrews chapter 11, we kind of get um, God's perspective on what was going on inside of Abraham's heart and inside of Abraham's mind during all of this. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to start in verse 17. 
It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, what, you see what's happening here? We talked about the faith that Abraham had already demonstrated in his willingness to leave everything behind and follow God, even though he didn't have all the answers. And then we've seen his faith be shaken, his eyes be taken off of God, and, and his decision to, I'm going to micromanage this situation to make sure that it works out the way that I'm sure God really intends it. But yet, he's able to make this full circle. He's able to come all the way back around to where now, even as God is saying, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son through, and, and again, he's not his only son because he had Ishmael, but what is it he says? Your only son through which it was promised that God would make that great nation of his chosen people. Because, why? He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead. He's like, maybe God's got to, I don't know how God's going to fix this. But, but that go, he's back to that mentality. I don't know why this is going to work out, but I believe that it will. I believe that God is able to restore him. If I, if I have to kill him, God's going to bring him back. And I love the point that he makes. And in a sense, he kind of did. He kind of did because he was, if you think about it, the whole time they're walking up that mountain for the sacrifice, in Abraham's mind, his son's already dead. He's already gone. And now he's receiving him back from God and God's, God's replacing him with another sacrifice, much like Jesus did for us. So in a sense, God did give him life. And, and, and the fact that he is alive is a gift from God. And he sees the result. He sees the plan fulfilled after he was willing to follow him all the way up to the point. Right? Because what does it say? He considered that God was even figuratively he did receive him back. He was like ready to go. And the thing that I want us to see is that Abraham has now made this full circle. He, he follows God. He loses sight. He falls into sin. He tries to micromanage or protect himself. He stops, but he goes from being a self-preservationist, one who's trying to protect his own interests or trying to micromanage the situation, make sure that he's in control of all the factors that are at play going forward and instead be willing to follow God, trusting that there is something more to come. Because God has made big promises to Abraham. He's made big promises to us, right? Well, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That, we're, we're part of all the families of the earth. All these promises that God would bring about redemption and restoration, and he would fix the brokenness that was brought on by sin. All of those things are promises that, that can affect us. When we're saved, we're, 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 we're saying we believe that God is worth following and, we, and we're setting aside everything else for the sake of following after him and obeying him and by, and, and by faith pursuing him. Even when we don't know all the answers, even when we don't understand all that is going on. 
And so I ask you to ask yourself, where in that cycle are you? Are you somewhere before God called you? Because if you are, I want you to know that when you look at the story of Isaac, this, he's ready to, to die and be sacrificed to God. God replaced him with a ram that was right there. It, it's, and I love it. It's like, it just so happens that there was a ram right there. It's not just so happens. God planned that this moment would happen. And he provided a sacrifice to replace Isaac. And that's exactly what happened for us with Jesus. We were meant to take on that judgment of God. We are deserving of death, except that Jesus served as our replacement, dying on the cross for us so that we could be restored to God. And maybe you're somewhere before that initial call from God. And that's what you need to know, is that there is a way for you to be redeemed and restored and united to God. Maybe you have followed God. Maybe you are on this path toward Christ-likeness. And maybe you find yourself still tempted to micromanage or control situations or protect yourself or try to keep yourself away from discomfort. Maybe you're somewhere in that. And you may be thinking, there is no hope. And that's the thing, is I don't want us to listen to these stories of people. As I said last week, I said, we're going to talk about just how awful everybody in the Bible is. And just how awful we are. That sounds like it could be a really depressing series. Man, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad. I'm bad. This is great. I feel so good about this. No, I want us to see that this leads to something. This realization that God isn't done with people that are sinful. The moment sin entered the world, the first thing God did was he came down and said, I'm going to do something about this. That wasn't the end. He didn't start over. He didn't just wipe us off the face of the earth and say, let's hit reset. He said, I'm going to do something about that. God continued to work through Abraham, even though he fell off after his call. Even though he lost sight of that faith that was so important to him at the very beginning. So maybe, maybe that is where you are. Maybe there are times where you're like, I am not feeling this right now. Or maybe there are times that you look back and you say, whoa, what have I been doing? What have I been practicing? Or what have I been trying to control? Or what way have I been trying to make myself safe and let go of this vision that I had of following after Christ fearlessly? I don't know where you are, but I know that there is still hope for you. I know that there is more to that because I see that God can restore and redeem and bring that faith back to the forefront in our lives. That's exactly what he did with Abraham. He wasn't done with him, just like he's not done with us. So wherever you are in that cycle, I want you, I want you to look inside yourself, look at yourself, really be introspective here and ask yourself, do I do these things? Do I try to control? Do I try to micromanage? Or am I willing to follow Jesus no matter what? Amen.